Good morning, Northwest. How are you doing this morning? It's good to be together. My name is Aslan Bounton. If, if we have never met before, I'm one of the preaching speakers on rotation here at Northwest. We, like, we have about four to five speakers on rotation because we like to give you different perspectives and styles. And so it's good to be here with you today. We are in a month talking about generosity. And this topic can be very challenging uh, to us, but it, it has been very good. Last week was very challenging to me, but I received a lot. And so we're going to continue that this morning. I'm going to do something a little different. Normally, we, uh, normally I will have like point one, point two, point three. But today we're really just going to read through a scripture and kind of talk through it together and see what things we can discover about this particular account. Because I find this particular story in scripture so incredibly moving and such a great example of generosity. So we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark. But before we begin, I'll just explain that this same story, this same account, is also mentioned, is also found in the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Matthew. And that's because the Gospels are four different accounts of eyewitnesses, people who went around with Jesus and also interviewed those who were with him, and they chronicle the life and death of Jesus Christ. And so four different people wrote four Gospels, and so they start the New Testament. The Bible is composed of 66 books. Some of those are in the Old Testament, and some are in the New Testament. It basically means the Old Covenant. You could say the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The New Covenant being, after Jesus came, died for our sins, we now live in the New Covenant. So, the Gospels are the first books that start the New Testament and tell us about the coming of Jesus, his life, and his death. So, in the Gospels, you will find the same accounts uh, retold because it's the people who is with Jesus writing about these accounts. So, I'm going to be reading from Mark, but I am going to pull in some of the details that John writes about to give us a more complete picture. So, let's start reading. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people might riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your scriptures, and we ask God that you would open our eyes and our hearts to receive from you today what you would have for us in this passage. Amen. 
So because of John's account, we actually know that this is Mary, Mary, Martha's sister, who is also in several other accounts um, regarding the life of Jesus. So I'm going to be referring to her as Mary, and that, that I got that from the Gospel of John. So let's just start here, and we're going to jump in at verse 3. I'll reread the parts we're going to discuss right now. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table, a woman came with a jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke it and poured it on his head. So first, let's discuss that feet washing and head anointing were normal customs in the Middle East. And so when you would invite an honored guest, when you would invite someone over for dinner or to, into your home, when they entered, they would have their feet washed. And this was a courtesy because they would be dusty and dirty. And so for your guests, you would wash their feet so they didn't feel so filthy coming into dinner. And you would also offer a dab of perfume, like essential oils. I don't know if anyone's into essential oils. So oils that have a strong smell, and you would offer this to dab on their head to cover the smell of sweat because they would smell bad from walking through the heat. Can you imagine having to walk to a dinner date to a fr with a friend in Florida? <laughs> you would enter the restaurant like, ugh. So this was a courtesy. They would wash your feet, and they would offer you some strong-smelling perfume so that you didn't smell of sweat. We see, we, the scripture says that um, Mary brought down a jar of nard, and that is spike nard. And this is a plant that's found in the Himalayas. So it had traveled very far to get to Bethany. The Himalayas are, you know, in, in India and China. That plant is from that area. And it was very expensive, probably because it was from so far away. It says that it was nearly a year's wages is what it cost. For, this is olive oil. This is not spike nard, but I just wanted to give a visual here. <laughs> uh, nearly a year's wages. So if we were just to kind of give a feel of what that's like, what is a, I googled what an average salary was in 2019, and it said between fifty dollars to $60,000 is the average salary for this year. So... Can you imagine in this jar, if I was holding an oil that was worth, let's say, $40,000, right? That's, that's significant, okay? So she has this oil, and we don't know, or this perfume, we don't know if she earned it and bought it herself or if it was an heirloom. It was likely an heirloom that was, would be passed down to be saved for her mother's burial or for her burial. So we don't know exactly how she secured this oil this perfume, but we do know it was hers, and she chose to pour it out on Jesus in her extreme generosity and love for her Savior. And John, in the account that John reads, writes, it says that she actually let down her hair. Against all propriety, she exposes her hair. And in the Middle East, that is not something you do in public. That was a sign that you were actually uh, a woman with no morals, a very loose woman, if you will. But it says that she let down her hair and she actually wiped the excess oil that dripped down his body onto his feet and she wiped his feet with her hair. Now let's pause right here and just really sit in this and think about what this would feel like to those in this room, okay? This is a very shocking event that is taking place and people are uncomfortable, Okay, for two, for, for many reasons, but people are uncomfortable because they thought she was wrong. They thought, you know, who, who knows? Can you imagine? You go, you, you invite someone over to dinner and, and someone 
just takes a liter. It says it was a liter. I measured out a liter. This is how much oil it was. A liter of oil and dumps it on the guest head. Can you imagine if someone dumped this? You'd be like, okay, time to eat. Like you would be drenched. And so the disciples and whoever else is at this dinner are sitting there. And instead of dabbing the oil, Mary just douses his whole body. Okay, and they're like, hmm, okay, okay. Then she lets down her hair, which is a big no-no. Can you imagine? It probably just like, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, cool. Okay, Martha? <laughs> Go, let's come get your cuckoo sister. She's acting crazy. Okay, so the room is tense. The room is tense. So here's my first just question to us. Are you so generous that it makes people uncomfortable? Because this is what Mary was. Her generosity was so lavish, so extreme, that everyone in the room was uncomfortable by her actions. So let's just think about this. uh, Generosity can be applied to so many areas of your life, your money, your time, your words. Today I'm going to kind of pull the thread of words Obviously, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to each of us individually on on where we might need to up our generosity. But I just want to give the example of our words. Being generous. Are you so generous with your words to others that it can make people uncomfortable? Because you're so encouraging. You're so willing to say how important people are to you. Are we that kind of loving, that encouraging, that forthright in in our speech to each other? And this all, just even saying this can make some of us uncomfortable in the room. Like, well, okay, I can encourage, like, maybe other girlfriends, but it's like, you can't encourage men like that as a woman. Like, that looks, like, inappropriate, crossing boundaries. Already, we're kind of like, uh. Listen, our culture is so over-sexualized. Everything, every song, every movie, every thought, there's, we have this assumption that there's some kind of sexual motive behind it. And maybe there is with some, but I'm telling you, it is such a shame that we feel like we cannot encourage and strengthen and call out the good we see in each other because we're afraid we might look inappropriate or cross boundaries. Now hear me out. I'm not talking about texting someone's spouse at 12 a.m. like, you're so hot. I'm not talking about that. Let me be very clear. But if David and I are at dinner with friends of ours, why do we hold ourselves back from saying, you know what, I appreciate you guys. We love you guys. We appreciate how much you serve. We, you're such a good friend. You're such a good husband to your wife. You're such a good, you're such a good father. You're such a good mother. Why do we do? Why do we hold that back? We're so we're so concerned about looking inappropriate. Or what will people think? The generosity with our words. Mary poured out her generosity on Jesus. Was not bothered at the fact that everyone in the room was like uh, wanted to be anywhere else. Are you so generous with your time that it makes people uncomfortable? I've had people say some version of basically, you know, you should really consider spending more time with your husband than other people so much. It's uncomfortable. Generosity makes people uncomfortable. And I'm certainly not saying um, neglect your family, be a workaholic and neglect your family. No. But when you are generous, when you are lavish with your time, with your words, with your resources, it makes people uncomfortable. And I think it's such an amazing story of what, of, of what Mary did. Are you so generous in your forgiveness that it pisses people off? 
You're just going to forgive them like that? Like, no, we got to hold this grudge. We got to ride this grudge out. <laughs> yeah, you can get a lot of good gifts from that. No, I'm forgiving. I forgive. I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go. Our generosity. Listen, love is lavish. Love is extravagant. Love is generous. When you really love someone, you go beyond what is needed and you are lavish. When David and I were dating, and this is like the pentacle, the height of infatuation, okay? Y'all remember that stage? Just like you're just so gaga crazy over this person. And so there was one night we were talking on the phone and we discovered that we had seen each other every day for nearly a month. That if we saw each other today, the day we were talking, it would officially make a month. And this was like nine o'clock at night. And we were like, oh my word, oh my word, oh my word. We have to get together tonight. Like we have to, and this for some reason was very important and exciting to us. We're like, if we see each other today, it will be 30 days in a row that we've seen each other. And so I was like, okay, let's just, let's just meet up. Let's, let me, hold on. Because I lived at home. And so even though I was 19, 20, I, you know, I'm not going to take off at 10 o'clock at night and not tell my parents. It's rude. So I go upstairs to my, knock on the room. My mom's up there. And so I was like, so mom, um, hear me out. And I go into, I'm like, okay, so David, has seen, David and I have seen each other every day. Today makes a month. And we really just really, really, really need to do this. Like, we just really want to have this, like, record in our relationship. <laughs> Sorry, I keep popping on this thing. And this is literally my mom's reaction. She's like, <sighs> like, her head drops. She's like, Aslan. She's like, this, first of all, that's entirely too much to be seeing each other. <laughs> It's like, y'all do not need to be seeing each other every single day for months. Like, this is too much. Y'all need to back it up. And I'm like, please, mom, please, please, please. Like, we won't even, like, hang out long. Just let, let's just meet in a parking lot. See, we, say we saw each other. And then I'll come right back home. That's all I need. And we did not live close. I live in Stanford. He lived in Orlando. So it was a 30-minute drive. And so <laughs> she was just like, you have 45 minutes. And then you need to be back. And I was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so we drive, meet up at this random gas station and just hug. And we're like, we saw each other. Okay, ridiculous, right? This is so stupid. Uh, Just like the gas that took, like the mileage on my car. Like, that's how I think now. Like, no. But love is lavish. It's ridiculous, right? You go so far beyond what is necessary, what is needed. When you really love someone, And that is such a beautiful picture we have here with Mary, going way beyond. And let's just think before we go to the next couple verses. Think about that perfume, that oil that was poured all over his body, from his hair all the way down. This is days before he goes to the cross and is crucified. I imagine that his body still smelled of that perfume when he was carrying the cross to Golgotha. People are spitting at him, laughing. Don't you wonder if the wind shifted, if they got a smell of that beautiful perfume. I wonder if when he was hanging there, taking on our sins, if he could smell the oil that she poured on his body, the love that she poured out. It's just a wonderful thought, isn't it? To think that perhaps he could still smell that. Perhaps it was still in his hair and on his skin when he was dying on the cross, but to remind him of how much Mary loved him. Let's keep going. Verse four, some who were present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste could have been sold and the money given to the poor. 
and then they rebuked her. Now here we have this fascinating, striking contrast from this love-driven generosity. And here, right after smack dab, we have the contrast of human greed. And it's quite startling when you, when you think about the different displays that were happening. And this bothered some people in the room. It bothered them. It felt wasteful. And it even can sound, those who were criticizing, they sound like good humanitarians, right? Like, it sounds like there's some wisdom in that. Like, yes, you could have helped so many people not waste, not just spend this wastefully on this person. It sounds, it sounds wise. It sounds like a good thing to do. But we know that that wasn't the motive. And we know it was Judas who, several people were bothered. The room was bothered. But John tells us that it was Judas was the one that spoke up. He was the one saying, uh, you could have used it this way. And Judas was covetous and calculating. He wanted to look like he cared about the poor. But we know that he didn't because of the, the little anecdote that John puts in. He says, Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put in it. Isn't it interesting that John gives names? Matthew and, and uh, Mark, they're just like leaving everyone anonymous. They're like, some woman, and then some of the disciples. And John's like, I'm calling everybody out. It was Mary. She should get the credit. And it was Judas who was stealing. You know, like he's just calling everybody out. I don't know why the others don't name people. But we see that Judas couldn't calculate love. He couldn't understand it. He couldn't comprehend what was happening. He could only calculate money. And a selfish person can never understand an unselfish person. You just don't get it. And it's irritating and it's irksome when people are generous. And if selfish people can't understand it, they can't fathom it. He wanted to look like he was concerned about others. But he was bothered for himself. Because that was $40,000 that he could have skimmed some off for. Himself, So it's such a striking difference between the generosity we see and human greed. Let's continue through the story. Coming to a very, another very beautiful part where Jesus defends her. He says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing. And the word beautiful is actually good. It's, that's the translation of it, but it's good. And there was two words, two Greek words words for good, and I'm not going to try to say those. The first one means morally good, but the second one, that second word for good, is the one that's used in this passage, and it means not only morally good, but lovely, or winsome, or beautiful. And so Jesus, in this moment, when the people in this room, the men in this room are like, hmm, not only did she waste money that could have been used with better resources, but she's also let down her hair, which is a very seductive thing to do. So all this is running through their mind, and Jesus just, he not only defends her and says, she didn't do anything morally wrong. <laughs> it was culturally against their custom to show their hair, but there was nothing sinful about showing her hair. It was just against their culture. So he stops it right there. What she's done is not only morally good, but it's beautiful. It's lovely. What she has done for me is a lovely thing. And here's what I think is the most, one of the most amazing things about this passage is that Mary knew that Jesus was going to die. I believe she did. We have two options here. Either Mary knew, she believed Jesus at his word, 
or she was moving in the prophetic, which she could have been moving just in a prophetic sense, not really realizing what she was doing. But I believe she knew that Jesus was going to die. And the reason I believe that is because several times up to this point, if you read in the scriptures, any one of the gospels, before they get to this night, Jesus has said time and time again, I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be killed. He told them multiple times. And for whatever reason, I don't know, the disciples did not get it. They did not believe him. But it wasn't because he wasn't telling them. There's even a scripture that said from this time on, he began telling them over and over about his death. That he would be handed over, tried, beaten, and killed. But I believe Mary took Jesus for his words. She said, this is my opportunity to anoint his body with oil. Because here's the crazy thing. If Mary had been doing this in a few days after Jesus had died, no one would have said anything. Because in that custom, in that culture, when someone died, you would take that oil and you would anoint the dead body with oil along with the other preparations for burial. It was part of a custom, that perfumed oil to help with the smell. And so if he was dead and she was doing this, no one would have said anything about the cost. No one would have said it was expected. But because she was doing this at what seemed like just an ordinary dinner, just a regular old day, they rebuked her. They gave her a hard time. They're like, ah, what a waste. How embarrassing. But I believe she saw what they were missing. I believe she took Jesus for his words and realized this is, I won't, because if you were handed over as a criminal and killed, that family didn't get that body. Your body was thrown into a field to rot with the other criminals. You weren't given back to your family. I believe that Mary believed Jesus' words the multiple times he said, hey, I'm going to be turned over. I'm going to be killed. And she's like, this is my moment. I won't have a chance to anoint his body and prepare it. So uh, this is my moment. And so she took the oil that was likely saved for her burial or family members. She chooses to anoint his body. And just keeping that thread of the words, I kind of want generosity in our words to be one of the take-home things. So just staying with that theme, isn't it amazing that at a funeral, every, it is accepted that you openly say how you felt about that person, what they meant to you. There's usually a time at a funeral where people get to come up and say it from stage. And then there's always a dinner, after, traditionally a dinner after you go to in someone's home or at the church, the funeral place. And you, have, you share a meal together and everyone shares, right? Their memories, what they loved about the person. How, you know, we're all sharing stories. People are openly emotional, crying, hugging, which is a wonderful tradition for a funeral. But what a shame that we wait till that moment, right? Why do we wait for someone to die to then be like, now I can be vulnerable and say what I really feel about you, what I really appreciate, what, what you've meant to me. But for some reason, it takes that death, that separation from us, for us not to be afraid to be that vulnerable, to be that open. I feel so challenged by that because it's like what a shame that we don't let people know, that we don't call out the good we see in them. We don't tell people how much we appreciate. You know, I've heard several times for many, men especially, this isn't just dogging men, women can struggle with sharing words too. 
But, you know, like, I told my wife on my wedding day that I loved her, and that should be good enough, you know? And that's kind of, you know, we have so many other ways of showing people we love them, by serving, by... But there's an element that we should also be generous with our words, in our families, with your children, but also with the people that we love. And I think it's such a beautiful thing that Mary didn't wait till Jesus was dead to pour out her love and appreciation on him. She's like, this is my moment. This is it. And I'm going to show my demonstration of love just like I would if he dies and I don't get that chance. I'm doing it now. I love that. And it's crazy to think that in just a few days' time, all the disciples would be hiding in a room crying because their Savior was dead and doing what Mary was doing that night. She took the opportunity while he was alive to show that appreciation, that lavish love that she had for him. Let's finish up with these last verses. It's very interesting. It's very interesting that he, right after the story of what's happening at this dinner, it says, Then Judas went to the chief priest to betray Jesus. It was kind of like, it seems like it was just a line drawn in the sand, like this is too much. Couldn't take it. After such a display of wastefulness, of just a, such a display of generosity, it's like that was it, pushed over the edge. And here he goes to say, okay, what can I get for Jesus? How much money can I get for him? Our reactions to lavish displays of love reveal what's really in our heart. Extravagant love, extravagant generosity exposes what's in there. It's interesting because Judas received 30 shekels of silver for betraying Jesus, which is the price that it cost to buy a slave. So the symbolism here is just gut-wrenching. That Jesus, that Judas earned enough to procure a higher uh, status in society, to move up, run on the so up on the social ladder. That's how much money he earned. And I think about that and what that symbolism means to me. It's like, boy, how many times have I denied Christ or not done something I knew I should have because of wanting socially to be seen different? I don't want my social standing to be knocked down and so I'll hold back, or I won't do something I know I should, or I won't be vulnerable in, in the right moment. That's what Judas did. It's very challenging. How you react when you see generous, lavish displays of love shows what's really in our hearts. She has her own husband. Why is she's always why is she encouraging mine? Go talk to your own people. Go encourage your own kids. It's exposing what's in your heart. Why are, they, why, are they, why are they spending so much time serving at church, helping the community? What's in your heart that that's rubbing us the wrong way? Because these extreme displays of generosity can either inspire you of like, yes, that's amazing. That is exciting. I can be a part of that. Or it can kind of dig up some dirt, right? Rub you the wrong way. What's their problem? Why are they always sharing stories of generosity during the tithe time at church? You know, what are they trying to do? Manip what's that, what's that pulling out of my heart right now? 
because here, I'm going to end with this verse before we close. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may, what? See. See your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We have to be living generous, lavish. I don't mean lavish like you're spending all this money on yourself. I mean lavish with our love, with our generosity, with our service, with our time. For people to see the good works that we're doing. Because why? Because, because we earn salvation that way? No. Good works do not earn us salvation. Salvation is paid for for us by Christ. But good works give glory to God. It's an open door for you to share your testimony. But if we're not doing good works, if we're not doing anything people can see that makes them go, whoa, he gave his car away. Like the example Pastor Peter gave last week, he just, you just gave it away. Gosh, you're such a good person, right? That's the line that would naturally come out. That is your door right there. Because if you don't know the answer is not, I'm not a good person, that's the answer. <laughs> Just so you know. I'm not a good person. It's Christ. And that is your door to your story of how you can be generous because of Christ. Because of Christ, not because of me. And I know the thing that kind of holds us back from wanting to like do good works or like show our generosity and our, those things is because in Matthew, it says, don't let your, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing or else you've basically gotten your reward right there. I get that. And that is a heart check moment. So if you are giving only because you want people around you to be like, wow, you're such a good person. That is Jesus saying, check your heart. That is not the right motive to give. But I don't think all of our giving, all of our good work should be done in secret because then we can't do this. We, our good works have to be seen. There has to be a display of our lavish devotion and love to Christ and to other people. Otherwise, what's going to make people ask, why did you do that? How are you so different? How are you able to be so vulnerable and tell, like, you're so encouraging to me at work. You always thank me for getting my projects done on time. Whatever. How else are we going to show people what is different in us if we're not being lavish in our generosity? I know that this sermon series can feel kind of tough. Generosity can feel like a heavy challenge to be pushed, pushed, pushed in every area, not just your money, but your time and your words and all of that. And the somewhat comforting news is it, is, it is too hard for us to do, right? It left to our own sinful nature, it is too much for us to be able to live this kind of way, like Mary's showing us. But the wonderful news is that Jesus did the most generous, selfless, unthinkable, impossible act of love to take on our sin so that we could receive his nature. And so now he says, you know what? You get me. You accept Christ. You get me for all of eternity. You get me. So you can live with your hand open. You can live with your heart open, not afraid of getting hurt or rejected. You can live with your resources open. You can live with your home open because you get me. And no one can take that away. It says that Jesus is preparing a home for us. Your father's preparing. You have the greatest father. And my dad, my earthly dad, built me a home to grow up in. If you heard his story, you heard that. He literally physically built our home. So my dad built me a home, and my father is also building me a home. And he's building you a home. You have a father that's building you a home. 
That's why we can live lives that are open and generous and lavish because you don't have to be afraid of, of, of something being taken from you. You get him. You get eternity. And so we can live lavishly and generously. Thank you, God. Let's stand. Father, I thank you that you are preparing a home for us that neither moth nor flame can destroy. That we don't have to worry about what we don't have, not having enough, but that you take care of us, you provide. And Father, I pray that each one of us would be challenged this week, even if it's just in our words, to show our great love and appreciation for those around us to tell them the things we would tell them if they died today and we were standing at their funeral. Why do we wait? God, help us to be bold in our love, lavish in our appreciation, lavish in our encouragement to those around us. That our spouses and children and families and coworkers and neighbors would know how we feel, would know how much we appreciate them. Lord, I pray you help us in this month as we get challenged and our toes get stepped on regarding generosity. Help us, God. I thank you for this example of Mary. I pray that you would help us be like her, unafraid of public scorn, not, not, not worried about what people think about us when we are generous, but only solely focused on making sure our love for you is seen. Thank you, God. Amen. Jim. All right. That's pretty awesome because it's so tough, you know, like for me personally. I'll, I'll work my butt off for you. I'll do anything. Just don't ask me to say anything nice. Um, but uh, so let's go out this week and let's, uh, let's be generous with our words, with our generosity, with all that we have that God has given us. You guys have a great week. See you next time.